WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Hi, Year of Our Lord 2022. I'm happy to be with you for this Marian Hour on this Feast of St. Henry, former Emperor, a Holy Roman Emperor. And um, I'm going to begin our, our Marian Hour today with my favorite Marian prayers is my custom, the Memorare, if you would join me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> well, um, I walked in just a couple of minutes ago to our studio, and as Angela was preparing to launch me on the air, she asked a question if I was going to speak on Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And I said, how did you know? Well, the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel is just a few days away, July 16th. And I'm going to talk about <clears throat> this beautiful title of the Blessed Virgin Mary um, in anticipation of her glorious feast day and the religious order that was founded under that title. Um, and <clears throat> I'll, I'll begin my discussion of Our Lady of Mount Carmel by talking about uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel back in the ninth century before Christ. Okay, because this is where the Carmelite order gets its roots from this time, especially from the first of the great prophets. His name was Elijah, or Elias, as some of the older translations um, spell his name. <clears throat> Elijah lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, just to refresh everyone's memory, you know, King David, back about a thousand years before Christ, he united all the tribes of Israel, uh, those were the sons of Israel, the different tribes named after the 12 sons of, of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And King Solomon ruled after David, but King Solomon uh, worshiped many, well, he had many wives, uh, many of them pagan. He allowed pagan shrines to be built. And after his death, the kingdom of, you could say, Israel, which encompassed all the 12 tribes, was split. 
You had the northern kingdom, which was known as the kingdom of Israel or sometimes the kingdom of Ephraim after one of the tribes. And then the southern kingdom was the kingdom of Judah, which was ruled by the kings descending from David and Solomon, uh, so on and so forth, all the way to Jesus Christ. Well, the northern kingdom, the kingdom in the north, where most of the tribes were, um, they began to, uh, the people in that, in that northern kingdom and the kings along with it um, began to fall off from the true worship of God, engage in pagan idol worship. And in the ninth century before Christ, and here I'm going to be reading from the first book of Kings, the end of chapter 16, uh, if, if in the older Bibles, if you have an older Bible, um, this would be the third book of Kings because first and second Kings are now first and second Samuel in many of the newer Bibles. So depending upon what Bible you have, if you have a, like a Douay-Rheims Bible, uh, this would be the third book of Kings, but if you have a New American Bible, it would be the first book of Kings, chapter 16, the end of it. It speaks of the reign of one of the kings of northern, the northern kingdom of Israel. And his name was Ahab, son of Amri. He became king of Israel. I'm reading verse 29, chapter 16, 1 Kings. Um, <clears throat> he reigned over Israel in Samaria for 22 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, Ahab did, more than any of his predecessors. It was not enough for him to imitate the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, a previous king. He even married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, who went over to the veneration and worship of Baal. These were pagan gods with the demons, the Israelites would offer their sacrifices to these false gods, even their children. Verse 32, Ahab erected an altar to Baal in the temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And he did more to anger the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the kings of Israel before him. And he was encouraged to do this by one of his wives, Jezebel. I, I mentioned in my homily this past Sunday because it was my patronal feast for Our Lady of Mount Carmel Parish. We celebrated the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And I, I said to especially the ladies that were out in the congregation, I said, if someone ever calls you a Jezebel, they are not complimenting you. <laughs> Jezebel was uh, very evil and... Um, one of the wives of Ahab, who encouraged him to build these temples to the Baals, these false gods. And, well, in response to this, um, this apostasy from the true faith, God did something. Okay. He sent the first of the great prophets, who was Elijah, to confront Ahab, to confront uh, all the people in the northern kingdom of Israel. And as 
the beginning of chapter 17 of 1 Kings says, Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, during these years there shall be no dew or rain except at my word. Actually, there was, there was rain stopped for a period of about three and a half years as a punishment for the people falling off into pagan idol worship. And the Lord ordered Elijah to go off, um, hide in the Wadi Cherith, uh, a stream east of the Jordan, and drink from the stream, and ravens would come and feed him there, and uh, bring him meat in the morning, bread in the evening, uh, which they probably took off some table of some person from a household. Anyway, um, there's a story, and we, we, we read this in, in one of the readings. Um, I don't know if it's coming up uh, this year or not, I'm forgetting, but um, Elijah encounters this widow who's making the last bit of food, and and he says, don't worry, and the oil or the the... Um, uh, yeast did not run out uh, during the time that Elijah stayed with this this widow and her son. And um, anyway, the, the 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 story of Elijah continues. And <clears throat> chapter eighteen, I'll be reading from here. Uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. These pagan gods, the Baals, they they had false prophets to propagate them, okay, amongst the people of the northern kingdom of Israel. And in the third year of the drought, the Lord spoke to Elijah. This is the beginning of chapter 18, 1 Kings or 3 Kings if you have an older Bible. Go present yourself to Ahab, that I may send rain upon the earth. So he presents himself to Ahab, and um, um, and uh, <clears throat> Jezebel at this time, chapter eighteen of First Kings tells us, was murdering other prophets of the Lord that the Lord had risen up. And, um, uh, well, what, what Elijah does is challenge the false prophets of Baal to, you could say, a spiritual duel on top of Mount Carmel. There were 450 of the false prophets. And uh, just a word about Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is located in the north western part of, say, modern-day Israel, okay? And it, it towers above um, uh, everything else in the area and today overlooks the city of Haifa. I've been on the top of Mount Carmel myself a couple of times, most recently about two and a half years ago. And on a clear day, you can see the Mediterranean Sea from, from the top of Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is 1,742 feet above sea level. 
And the name Carmel means garden or uh, garden land because of its, uh, its beauty. It's, it's very lush with all kinds of flowers and blossoms and shrubs, fragrant herbs. And it was compared to uh, the beauty of Solomon's bride in the Song of Songs, uh, chapter 7, verse 5. And so this is where the prophet Elijah um, challenges these 450 false prophets of the Baals. And he calls all the people from the northern kingdom of Israel to the top of Mount Carmel to witness this. Okay? And um, very dramatic, uh, uh, the chapter 18 of First Kings uh, tells the story that Elijah, uh, he gathers all the people up on top of Mount Carmel, and along with the 450 false prophets of Baal, and he said he orders, "Give us two young bulls," and then they make two altars, basically piles of wood, to lay the bulls on them, and they cut the bulls to pieces. They place them on the wood, but Elijah orders, do not start a fire. And he tells the false prophets, you call upon your gods to bring down fire to consume your holocaust, your wooden altar with the, the bull upon it. And he says, then I will call upon the true God. And the God who answers with fire is the true God. And so the, all the people agree and the false prophets agree. Then the false prophets, they begin to dance around and invoke their pagan gods. And they're dancing around all morning long and nothing happens. Okay. In fact, Elijah, he, he must have had a good sense of humor okay? because this is actually recorded this is verse 27. It was noon, and Elijah taunted them. Okay. Call louder, for your God is a God that may be meditating, or may have retired perhaps, or may be on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep, and he needs to be awakened. Okay. So they call all the louder. They slash themselves with knives. They're a bloody mess in this like, catatonic state, almost a demonic state. Well, noon passed, and there's nothing that happens, okay? So after the false prophets dance around and nothing happens, the people are all witnessing this, Elijah says to all the people, and I'm quoting here verse 30, come here to me. Then he repaired the altar of the Lord, took 12 stones, the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, Israel, he built an altar in their honor uh, with the stones and uh, placed the, the cut-up bull on, on the wood of the altar. Then he ordered that jars of water be poured over the, the altar. Okay, so there's, there's no fooling around here. He, he wants big jars of water poured over his altar so that there's no doubt, okay, this thing's drenched. In fact, it's, there's a little moat around the whole altar. 
and the trench around the altar was filled with water. That was how much water was, was there. And Elijah then calls upon the true God, and fire comes down from heaven, consumes the wood, the bull, even the stones. Those are you know, consumed by this fire. And seeing this, and I'm reading verse 39 of 1 Kings, the people fell prostrate and said, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. Then Elijah orders them, seize the prophets of Baal, who were leading people into demonic idol worship, sacrificing their children. And Elijah had them brought down to the brook, and there he slit their throats. He executed them um, at the command of God, actually. Okay. So, um, this was the administration of the death penalty. God is ruler over life and death, and God can order the death penalty upon uh, these demonic prophets, which he did. Then Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, okay, after the people professed their faith, and he crouches down and puts his head between his knees. And here's verse 43. He tells his servant, climb up and look out to the sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. And tell me if you see anything. The servant goes up. He comes back. He says, I see nothing. There is nothing. Seven times, he says, go look again. The seventh time, Six times he comes back, there's nothing. The seventh time, he sees a small cloud coming up from the Mediterranean sea, sea in the shape of a foot. And it's a small white cloud. And from the small white cloud in the shape of a foot, okay, the New American translation for some reason says the shape of a, a hand. But um, the, the Douay Rheims, the, the Greek uses the foot. I don't know if that. I don't know why there's a, a mistranslation here, but it's foot. Okay, I'll explain the importance of that in a moment. Okay, so the the small white cloud rises from the Mediterranean Sea, and from this small white cloud is produced a whole array of black, dark clouds. Uh, that spread over the whole sky, and it pours down rain, ending the drought. So Elijah becomes, you could say, his, his prophecy and his challenging the false prophets. He's uh, basically a, a savior for the people of Israel as God's instrument. And uh, the people are, are happy, they're joyous. Jezebel has it in for Elijah. He has to flee because she, she wants to kill him for, for uh, uh, slaying her prophets. And, um, uh, but anyway, the, the drought ends, and uh, Elijah uh, is, you could say, the, the hero of the story. Now, we'll return in just about a, a minute or two after a short break and continue with the beautiful story of Our Lady of Mount Carmel.
Hi, this is John Wood, author of Ordinary Lives, Extraordinary Mission, and I just want to encourage everyone to support WSFI 88.5 Catholic Radio. Uh, Catholic Radio does so many great things, spreads our faith, it's so needed in this time, and I want everybody to get on board. Uh, people's lives are being changed. It's a great avenue for evangelization and um, inspiring all of us to become the saints we were created to be. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Hello, this is Father Dwight Campbell, uh, back for the second segment of the Marian Hour. And today, which is the feast day of St. Henry, Holy Roman Emperor, um, I'm speaking about the upcoming feast in three days, uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. In my first segment, I gave a little background of our Lady of Mount Carmel, with the prophet Elijah, who was called by God to confront uh, the, the evil pagan idol worship in the 9th century B.C., challenged uh, false prophets of Baal to a spiritual duel on top of Mount Carmel, and uh, fire came down from heaven, consumed the prophet Elijah's holocaust that he offered, um, he slew the 450 false prophets of Baal, and um, that's where I left off. Okay, This is all a background to uh, the title of Our Lady given to her, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and, and uh, why is she given this title? Well, this spiritual duel with or between the prophet Elijah and the false prophets of Baal took place atop of Mount Carmel. And it was there that Elijah prayed immediately afterwards for the drought upon the northern kingdom of Israel to end. It ended by uh, a small cloud after Elijah prayed rising from the Mediterranean Sea which is visible on a clear day from the top of Mount Carmel. And th from that small cloud burst forth uh, a whole sky of dark black clouds, which ended the drought of three and a half years and rained upon the people of Israel, saving them. Okay. Now, I'm going to speak about the significance of that cloud for a moment. Okay. 
in the Carmelite tradition, say the Catholic tradition as well, okay, that small white cloud is symbolic of Our Lady. And it's in particular symbolic of her immaculate conception. The small white cloud arose from the salty waters of the Mediterranean Sea, but without the salt, without the bitterness of the salt, which symbolizes Mary would be conceived without, with, with our human nature, okay, like the cloud has water in it, but without its bitterness, without the salt. Mary was conceived without original sin. And uh, the small white cloud uh, was in the shape of a foot. This is reminiscent of the Blessed Virgin Mary, chapter 3, verse 15 of the book of Genesis, which speaks of the woman who will crush with her foot the head of the serpent. This is the Blessed Virgin Mary. And that verse actually is one of the verses that is the basis for Mary's Immaculate Conception, which reveals to us that Satan never had a grip on Mary at all, nor her offspring, Jesus Christ. Okay, um, And that from that small cloud, the white cloud in the shape of a foot, okay, this, this sky is filled with, with black storm clouds. It rains down water to end the drought. Well, that cloud represents, again, the Virgin Mary, who will be the Virgin Mother of Jesus Christ, while herself, she's small and insignificant, like this little cloud, she will bring forth Jesus Christ, who will rain down upon earth the graces of salvation. So, um, this little white cloud arising from the Mediterranean Sea is a symbol of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I'll say something else here about, um, about Elijah. Because Elijah's mission does not end um, when he finishes confronting the, the false prophets. We know what happens to Elijah. Uh, the end of his, his prophesying back in the 9th century B.C. Something happens. He's taken away. Okay, I'll ask Angela. What is significant about Elijah being taken away? It's at the Jordan River. He hands off his mantle to his successor, who is Elisha. And Elisha will be the prophet, the great prophet that succeeds Elijah. But Elijah is taken away in, in a very memorable way. Do you know how he's taken away? In a chariot. In a fiery chariot, yes. Okay, he's at the Jordan River. This fiery chariot comes down, horses on fire, chariot on fire, and Elijah is taken away. But Elijah is going to return. Okay. Now, here I'll refer to the words of Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus Christ referred to John the Baptist having come in the spirit of Elijah. And remember when John the Baptist was baptizing before Jesus makes his first public appearance at the Jordan River, 
the Pharisees and the scribes are saying, who are you? Okay. Um, and are you Elijah? And John the Baptist denies that he is Elijah. Well, during the time of Christ, they were expecting from the prophecy of Daniel, the weeks of years, the Messiah to come at that time. And from the book of Sirach, we read that the prophet Elijah will prepare for the coming of our Lord. So the Pharisees and the scribes, the Jewish leaders, they're asking John the Baptist, are you Elijah? Okay. That is the one to prepare for the Lord's coming. And John the Baptist says, no, I'm not even worthy to tie the sandals on his, on his feet. Uh, but Jesus makes reference to John the Baptist saying, uh, yes, John is Elijah, uh, meaning John came in the spirit of Elijah. But Elijah will prepare for the second coming of our Lord. This is Catholic tradition. Okay. And you can look at many saints uh, throughout the ages. And also you can look to chapter 11 of the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. And in chapter 11, St. John speaks of the beast. Now, who is the beast? The beast is the Antichrist. And chapter 11 relates how um, the, I'll, I'll read here, uh, John says in chapter 11 of, of the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, verse 1, I was given a measuring rod, like a staff, and was told, come, measure the temple of God, the altar, but exclude the outer court, do not measure it. It has been handed over to the Gentiles, who will trample the holy city for 42 months. I will commission my two witnesses to prophesy for those 1260 days wearing sackcloth. Who are these two witnesses who will prophesy 1,260 days, 42 months? How many years is 42 months? Three and one-half years. That is the time of the reign of the Antichrist. He will reign for 42 months. He will be given total power, first economic, then political power. Uh, then he will demand worship of himself, as St. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians. Okay? And for 42 months, this son of perdition will reign over the whole world. The saints tell us that the persecution of the church will be so severe that the Mass will not be offered publicly anywhere in the world. The church will go completely underground during these 42 months. But it's during this time that these two witnesses will arise. Who are the two witnesses? Catholic tradition tells us. One is Elijah, who will return. The other, the weight of the opinion, is Enoch, or Henoch, depending upon how you spell his name. He was taken away without dying. We read this in the book of Genesis very early on. He's one of the early descendants of Adam and Eve. So 
Elijah and Enoch will be these two witnesses who will confront the Antichrist and really prepare for Christ's second coming. Okay. Actually, the, the book of Sirach speaks of how Sir, uh, Elijah will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. He will call the Jews back to the worship of the true God through Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, the Jews will be converted before Christ comes. The good ones, okay. Some of them will follow the Antichrist, as many in the world will. But um, Saint Paul tells us in in Corinthians that the Jews will will be grafted back on the vine, okay. Christ, they will be brought back. Elijah will be preaching to the Jews, his own people. So, back to the end times, chapter 11, the book of Revelation. For 42 months, uh, these two witnesses will prophesy. And verse 6 of chapter 11 of Revelation, they have the power to close up the sky so that no rain will fall during the time of their prophesying. Well, how long is that? That's going to be three and a half years. The same amount of time that Elijah called a drought upon ancient Israel for their apostasy. Okay? Because during the reign of the Antichrist, as verse 7 says okay, of chapter 11 of Revelation, um, it speaks of the beast who will wage war on them. And he will wage war on them because, I'll go to verse 6 now of chapter 11, besides uh, closing up the sky so that no rain will fall, a drought, they also have power to turn water into blood and to afflict the earth with any plague as often as they wish. Now I'll ask Angela, what is that reminiscent of? Turning water into blood as a plague. Does that ring a bell with you? I'll give a hint, hint, back to the book of Exodus. With Moses? With Moses, yes. Wow. One of the ten plagues was turning the water into blood, okay? As well as other plagues, as often as they wish. They're going to call down plagues, just as Moses called down plagues upon the ancient Egyptians. The tenth and final plague was the, 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 the angel of death going through, striking down the, the Egyptians' firstborn sons. The Israelites' firstborn sons were saved if they killed the lamb, sprinkled its blood on the doorposts, and ate its roasted flesh. So these two witnesses are going to call down plagues. No rain for three and a half years, water into blood, other plagues. We could probably get an idea reading the other plagues from the book of Exodus. There are gnats, there are locusts all over, there's lightning striking, a whole series of plagues, okay? Verse 7 of chapter 11, the book of Revelation. When they have finished their testimony, the two witnesses, the beast comes up from the abyss to wage war on them. And he kills them. He kills both Elijah 
and Enoch. Verse 8, their corpses will lie in the main street of the great city, which has the symbolic names of Sodom and Egypt, where indeed their Lord was crucified. Okay. We're talking about Jerusalem here, okay? but symbolic names of Sodom and Egypt because of their apostasy. Okay. Those from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation will gaze on their corpses for three and a half days. They will not allow their corpses to be buried. Now think about this. John's writing this. Okay. How will people from every, every tribe, tongue, nation gaze on their corpses for three and a half days? I'm sure John didn't know how this would be done back then. We know how it can be done now. Easy. CNN, the news media will be there. Oh, look at finally, these guys who were casting, you know, calling down plagues on us. Um, our leader, the Antichrist, okay, a supposed man of peace who will demand worship of himself, he slays them. Ra, 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 okay. However, okay, continue reading, chapter 11, okay. Their bodies will lie for three and a half days, not buried. But three, th three and a half days later, a breath of life from God entered them. They stood on their feet, rose from the dead. Great fear fell upon those who saw them. Then these two witnesses heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud. The enemies looked on. Okay. At that moment, a great earthquake takes place. The seventh final trumpet then blows. This is verse 15 of chapter 11, the book of Revelation. And um, then we see described how uh, the temple of God in the heavens was, was opened. The Ark of the Covenant could be seen. The woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars. She gives birth to the sun. Okay, well... Jesus, if we read chapter, uh, pardon me, uh, well, yes, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, Christ will come and slay the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth. Uh, Christ's second coming takes place after the Antichrist's reign, and the dead rise. The resurrection of the dead, the general judgment takes place, the final separation of the sheep and the goats, that's it. Okay, So this is the importance of the prophet Elijah. And I think, as I'll relate in my final segment, keep listening, of the Order of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. We'll take a short break for just a minute or two. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Hi, my name is Irene Sherapata. My husband Alex and I are volunteers for WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio 
is our family's source of truthful and trustworthy information regarding the Catholic faith, the church, our religion, and state of the world in these trying times. My husband, Alex, and I are greatly rewarded for our volunteer work at WSFI by working with such lovable and like-minded people and by meeting and hearing firsthand some of the most respected, wise, and interesting guest speakers. Its programmings on healing the whole person has helped so many and is truly inspired by God. This radio station is really a school of Catholic thought and source of wisdom. We have learned so much, and our faith and love for God has increased so much that we hope to share it with everyone we meet. We hope and pray that WSFI 88.5 FM would soon reach the entire Chicagoland population. You too can help WSFI bring millions of souls to God. See how you can support their effort by calling WSFI Catholic Radio at 224-206-8455 or online at WSFICatholicRadio.org for your donation. Thank you very much, and uh, God bless you. Hello, this is Father Dwight Campbell, back for the final segment of the Marian Hour. I'm speaking about Our Lady of Mount Carmel and giving the background to it with the prophet Elijah slaying the false prophets on Mount Carmel in the 9th century B.C. And I spoke in the last segment, um, the second segment, how Elijah is going to return to prepare for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, his final coming the end of the world during the reign of the Antichrist, who will be he will be one of the two witnesses spoken of in chapter eleven, the book of Revelation, uh, to confront the beast, calling down a drought upon the earth for three and a half years, and plagues like water into blood in the manner of Moses in Egypt. And the beast we know is the Antichrist, whose number is six six six, and um, who will establish. Uh, uh, a world government, uh, try to establish a new world order uh, with worship of himself, and he will slay the two witnesses, Elijah and Enoch. Their bodies will lie in the streets for three and a half days. Then they will rise. Soon after Jesus will come, that's the end of the world. He will slay the Antichrist, and, and the final judgment will take place. Anyway, Back to how Our Lady of Mount Carmel uh, gets her title. Well, um, Elijah is taken away in a, in a fiery chariot. He hands off his mantle to Elisha, his successor. And after the period of Elijah and Elisha, there were followers of these two great prophets. Elijah and Elisha are considered the, the founders, especially Elijah, of the Carmelite order. There were hermits who were followers of Elijah and Elisha in the centuries that followed. They lived on top of Mount Carmel, had a community, and the Carmelite tradition tells us that 
<clears throat> At the first Pentecost, 50 days after our Lord's resurrection, 10 days after his ascension into heaven, that the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and the Blessed Virgin Mary in the upper room as wind and fire, tongues of fire settling on their heads. Peter goes out, he begins to baptize the first 3,000, that first day of Pentecost. The Carmelite tradition tells us that those hermits, or monks you could call them, whatever, this community of followers of Elijah and Elisha, come down from Mount Carmel on that first Pentecost. They are among the first to be baptized, the first Christians. Then they begin to form a community. They live on top of Mount Carmel. There's a devotion to Our Lady. They build in the, uh, I believe it's the 12th century, they build a, a chapel on Mount Carmel in honor of Our Lady under the title Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Okay. And um, this is, I think, yeah, about 1150, they, they make their chapel um, consecrated to Our Lady, and <clears throat> the order then begins to grow. It, it receives, um, you know, approval by the Pope. However, in the next century, the 13th century, uh, the, the Muslims are invading the Holy Land and running people out. The Carmelites flee, and they're scattered throughout Europe, and the head of the Carmelite order at that time is named Simon Stock, and he's in England, Aylesford, England. He's elected in 1247 at 82 years of age as the sixth superior general of the Carmelites. Okay. However, um, things are going badly for the Carmelites because they've been dispersed. He's thinking of disbanding the order, and, and Our Lady comes to him on July 16th, Sunday, July 16th, 1251, as he kneels in prayer. And Our Lady appears dressed in the Carmelite habit, okay? And she's holding the child Jesus in one arm and the brown scapular in the other arm. The brown scapular is a piece of cloth that uh, covers the front and the back of those in the Carmelite order with a hole in the middle so you can put it over you. And Our Lady makes this great promise about the brown scapular as she hands it to Simon Stock, who's now a saint, okay, Saint Simon Stock. Um, whoever dies wearing this scapular shall not suffer eternal fire. Now, the brown scapular is a sacramental. It's not a sacrament. It doesn't give grace, but it opens us up to grace. It opens us up to the special protection of Our Lady, that she will make sure, this is what the essence of the promise is, that we will die in a state of grace. Okay? If we die in a state of grace, we get to heaven. We may get need to get cleaned up in purgatory for a while, but we will get to heaven. You die out of a state of grace, 
well, then, then you're separated from God for eternity. That's what hell is. And Our Lady makes this promise, whoever shall die wearing this scapular shall not suffer eternal fire. It became customary for smaller versions of that brown scapular to be distributed to the lady, especially members of the confraternity of the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Every year I enroll um, our first grader, pardon me, our, our first communion students. This used to be a practice in the brown scapular. I do it every year on, on the Feast of Mount Carmel at Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church. We just had our festival this past um, weekend. I'll throw in something else. I, we have a festival at St. Therese Church, um, 91st and 22nd Avenue, uh, this coming weekend. Uh, please come out, support us. A wonderful festival. We'll have music, food, and so on and so forth. Well, but back to um, back to Our Lady. So her promise um, is for anyone who wears the brown scapular. The miniature version that we wear is is a, is a sacramental. <clears throat> and I'll quote the words of Pope Pius the Twelfth here, who in 1950 addressed, um, was speaking about the brown scapular. Okay, he called it a sign of consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. In 2001, this was an anniversary year for the founding of, uh, or the giving of the Brown Scapular, which was 1251. Okay, Pope St. John Paul II, in an address to the Carmelites, called the Brown Scapular the most genuine form of devotion to the Blessed Virgin a humble sign of consecration to her immaculate heart. And uh, I'll go back now a little farther, okay, to 1917, October 13th, 1917, to be precise. So, Angela, what happened on October 13th, 1917? Do you know? The miracle of the sun. Yes, okay. Yes. As Our Lady predicted, uh, the greatest public miracle that has ever taken place that people saw that was predicted, 70, 80,000 people saw the sun spin, shoot forth colors, just as Our Lady said uh, would happen, this great miracle of the sun to give, you could say, a testimony that she was really appearing to the children. But Our Lady appeared to the children as the miracle of the sun was taking place, all the people saw the miracle of the sun. They did not see Our Lady, but Our Lady appeared in different images. One was Our Lady of Sorrows, she appeared. Another, she appeared with St. Joseph, it was the Holy Family. But she also appeared as Our Lady of Mount Carmel, dressed in the Carmelite habit, you know, tan and brown. And um, with the baby Jesus holding the brown scapular in her hand. And in the 1950s, uh, because her cousins had already died, Francisco and Jacinta, who are saints now, they've been canonized, okay? They died in, in 1918 uh, of the influenza that was going around at that time. And uh, Sister Lucia, her, she was a religious sister now. She was in the Carmelite order then in the 1950s, okay? Um, she was interviewed I think it was by William Thomas Walsh, if my memory serves me. 
who asked her why Mary, at that final appearance at Fatima, May 13th, why Mary held out the brown scapular. And here are Sister Lucia's words. I quote, Because Our Lady wants everyone to wear it. It is our sign of consecration to her immaculate heart. So, what does that mean? Well, to consecrate means to dedicate, to set something aside, out of the profane into the sacred. What's our fundamental consecration? It's baptism. And any other consecration we make is a way to live out our baptismal commitment, just like you know, consecrating yourself to Our Lady uh, by you know, how St. Louis de Montfort recommends. And <clears throat> a sign of that Marian consecration is wearing the brown scapular. Okay? As the Pope says, John Paul II, uh, the most genuine form of devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, a sign of consecration to her Immaculate Heart. So we consecrate ourselves, dedicate everything we do to say to Mary, to her heart, which is the gateway, her pierced heart, to the heart of Christ. Okay? She doesn't keep anything for herself. She will hand over anything that we dedicate to her, we consecrate to her as um, a funnel to go to Jesus. Okay? So um, we want to consecrate ourselves to Mary, to her Immaculate Heart, in order to better consecrate ourselves to Christ and his Sacred Heart. Pardon me. Now, I'm going to read here, uh, which we read in my church, Our Lady, of Mount Car Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin, this past Sunday, after our procession around our neighborhood with the statue of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. It was very beautiful. We prayed the rosary while processing around the neighborhood. We came back into the church, had benediction. And during the benediction ceremony, uh, we all read this act of consecration to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, which I will read at this time. Okay? It's very beautiful. O Queen and Mother of Carmel, Mary, I come today to consecrate myself entirely to Thee. To Thee, as the Mother of Grace, I owe all that I am and all that I have. And my whole life is a small return for the many graces and blessings that have come from God to me through Thy hands. Since Thou regardest with an eye of special kindness those who wear Thy scapular, I implore thee to strengthen my weakness with thy power, enlighten my mind with thy wisdom, increase my faith, hope, and charity, that I may render day by day my debt of humble homage to thee. May the scapular keep thine eyes of mercy turned toward me and bring me thy special protection in the daily struggle to be faithful to thy divine Son and to thee. May it separate me from all that is sinful in life and remind me constantly of my duty to behold thee and to clothe me with thy virtues. From henceforth, I shall strive to live in the sweet companionship of thy spirit, to offer all to Jesus through thee, and to make my life the mirror of thy humility, charity, patience, meekness, and prayerfulness. O dearest Mother, support me, by thy never-failing love, that I, an unworthy servant and sinner, 
may come one day to exchange thy scapular for the wedding garment of heaven and dwell with thee and the saints of Carmel in the kingdom of thy son. Amen. So that scapular um, is a beautiful way to consecrate ourselves. And we can be enrolled in the confraternity of, of the scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Just ask any priest to do this. The priests are given permission to do this. I'm going to end really quickly here with um, um, a, a brief prayer. And it is uh, composed by St. Simon Stock. Flower of Carmel. O beautiful flower of Carmel, most fruitful vine, splendor of heaven, holy and singular, who brought forth the Son of God, still ever remaining a pure virgin, assist us in our necessity. O star of the sea, help and protect us. Show us that you are our mother. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to The Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell. For a free copy of this recording, please visit us at wsfipodbean.com.